What's the biggest use of leather in the world? You know? Whips? Holding cows together. <laughs> okay, I'm using that. But only under duress. Only under duress. Hello, I am your host, Samuel Hansen, and you are listening to Combinations and Permutations, episode 45, brought to you by AcmeScience.com. We try something different on this episode and try our best to discuss three articles pulled from today's mathematical headlines, or just math articles in general. And most importantly, we figure out what the number 31 really means. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Combinations and Permutations. We are here, a mathematical podcast, and what that means is that you're not going to learn any math for about the next hour because we're very bad at talking about it. I am your host, the inimitable and quite annoying Samuel Hansen. Second that. Uh, And that voice you just heard is the man that I share an office and a bed with, Brandon Metz. (laughs) Only on the weekends. Ah, yeah, but they're such good weekends. That's, that's true. And then uh, next up on this week's panel, we have a man that imitates himself with very disastrous results, Christopher Bates. How do you fail at that, Chris? <laughs> it's kind of like the French with their revolution. Wee, <laughs> <laughs> oui, wee. Oui. Oh, wait, and, he speaks French. <laughs> and then uh, finally, uh, we got the one person here who will probably be very serious and give some lucid and quite cogent comments about what we're about to start talking about, and that would be Anthony Solari. Hey, all. By the way, in case anybody's interested, Chris's Fractal Cafe is well underway. No, no, no. We we never... I think we ended up not recording that part of that episode like two years ago. I want to hear about this. Yeah. I think, and I think so, no, we are not talking about this because for okay, once... we are editing that out. No, we're not editing anything out. We're I'm just not going myself. to continue talking. <laughs> you can't do that. I edit this podcast. I saw a Mickey Mouse hat the other night, and I thought about a fractal <laughs> Mickey Mouse hat. You know, <laughs> that with would like be awesome. ears on ears on ears. On ears. You know? Okay, like so I, I hate my life. Fit about that. That that totally threw us <laughs> off track. Okay, Mama. so so what we're gonna do here on uh, this week's episode? Uh, we're gonna actually do something completely different. And now for something completely different. Uh, sadly, we're not about to start doing Monty Python sketch comedy, which would quite obviously be better use of your next hour. But since you are uh, by contract are required to continue listening once you start, uh, it's a shrink wrap agreement. Otherwise. Brandon Metz, uh, the butcher, gets to uh, come and uh, cut you up for cannibalism. Uh, not, not that any of us will eat you, uh, but we do have a pretty sweetheart deal with a few cargo cults out in uh, the New Guinea area. So um, we're going to do something different this time. Generally, we just pick some topic, and we just kind of talk about it for an hour. Uh, but, I mean, we've covered, we've, I mean, we've covered everything from algebra to analysis <laughs> to differential equations to the Monty Hall problem. And, you know, infinite monkey theorems. And so I mean, we've covered a lot of topics. So uh, what we're going to do, do this time is we're actually going to take uh, three articles uh, that have come out in the last uh, few weeks that are about mathematics that have shown up in you know, various news outlets. And uh, we're, we're going to discuss them uh, and, you know, make some comments, talk about what they mean. 
maybe be interesting at some point. I don't I don't really know. Sure. Uh, at least one of the articles will lead to some quite lewd jokes, but we're saving that one for later. Uh, the first one that we're going to talk about, uh, and this this is from uh, fizzorg.com. Uh, it's a physics site. Uh, yeah, but it's actually about a math topic. It, Way to go. And, and what it's about is, is the Boltzmann equation. Now, a Boltzmann equation uh, has to do with uh, it's what a statistical distribution of a particle in a fluid or a gas. Typically, mm. you think of it as a particle in a gas, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to predict, yeah, trying to predict uh, how the you know molecules inside the gas are going to interact with one another, mm-hmm. at least probabilistically, because we're dealing in physics where there's no absolutes because they're a bunch of jackasses. Well, true. not probabilistically, statistically. Statistically, yeah, that's true because probabilistically is uh, mathematical, where statistics is yes. <laughs> he said it this time i didn't okay and so um what this article i mean the headline of this article is quite literally mathematicians solve 140 year old boltzmann equation so this equation was you know uh, set up by uh, uh james clerk maxwell and uh, ludwig boltzmann uh back in the 60s and 70s of the 1800s uh, and and so so we finally had two people, uh, Robert Strain and uh, Philip Gressman of uh, Penn, uh, Department of Mathematics, have finally, uh, finally came up with an actual solution uh, for this. So I'm gonna, we have two physicists, physics people on here right now, and, and, and we have two people who, who hate physics. Next. The two people who hate physics <laughs> are the more awesome people Me. here. But we do at least have two people who can talk about this. So I'm going to start, start with Anthony, who's... who's Almost completed a physics degree at some point in his life. Almost completed a couple. Almost yeah. the key word. <laughs> Why? <laughs> couple? And, and you went so, back for seconds? And so when, yeah, when you were in physics, did you deal at all with the Boltzmann equation? Yes. Actually, this is one of the first things you do when you're taking statistical mechanics. All right. Why, why there are seven variables is the first thing you do when you're asking about a gas. You might ask, you know, what's the, um, what's the distribution of the particles? But then you, when you ask that, you have to ask certain questions. You know, where's the x-coordinate? Where's the y-coordinate? Where's the z-coordinate? That's where three of the variables come from. You also have to ask about spin. You have to ask about, um, you might ask about excitation. So that would be where the electrons are compared to the protons. You might ask, what are two others? Are there spins? Oh, the uh, m- momentum. That's yeah. The, uh, oh yeah. And, oh yeah. And then there'd be momenta. Actually, I think where that's where might be where three M comes from. So position, momenta. I guess you can do it in various ways. And so that's where they come from. And apparently, in this article, of course, like all mathematicians, they don't actually care what the mathematicians did. So the, the Boltzmann equation. It was come up in the late 1890s. There are plenty of solutions. They uh, 70s. 1870s. 1870s. Yes. Late 1800s, I mean. Yeah. Okay, so in the 1870s, they came up with this equation, and there are plenty of solutions to the equation. And what these mathematicians did is they came up with two novel states that a physical system can be in that nobody knew about before. And, of course, people not caring. They don't know what the actual solutions are. And the whole article is about where the Boltzmann equation came from. That's true. It doesn't really mention much about what the mathematicians did. Well, yeah, yeah because my guess is since they solved this using differential equations and harmonic analysis, they none of us probably could 
uh, understand the paper unless we spent a lot of time reading it. So instead, I chose an article that was just kind of about it. But mm-hmm. I mean, we we don't have to talk just about this article. We can talk about the Boltzmann equation itself. The thing that oh. I found really interesting about what they did is they found that it all because the equilibrium solution for gases in perfect equilibrium has been known for a long time. Yeah, like that solution has been known, and essentially what they managed to show is that it just goes to equilibrium. Yeah, that's the problem. And they don't really have a uh, statistical physics for systems in motion. They can always do the statistics for equilibria. They can always find the equilibria. But if you ask, a system is in this state here, a system is in this state over here, what is, you know, what's the system, what state's the system going to be in between? And that's the part that they don't really have a a good system of equations for. And, I mean, they can kind of do it, but they only really have good stuff for equilibria. And, of course, classical thermodynamics they have equations for. But the, you have problems with that in the sense that, like, in the classical equations, heat travels faster than the speed of light, which... Kind of an issue. Be a problem. Which it might be an issue. Well, because it, it, tra- it travels instantaneously. It travels yeah. instantaneously, and Einstein had a problem with that. Um, basically, no information can travel faster than the speed of light because going faster than the speed of light invalidates means your time Einsteinian traveling. Einsteinian mechanics. <laughs> well, yeah, basically it means your time traveling, and they, the whole idea, the whole problem with that is people are worried about changing the past because they think that results yeah, in contradictions. Blah 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 blah. We don't that's, we don't care. But we're not we're not we're not here about time views. travel. We'll talk about time travel some other day. Oh, well, uh, that, that's why we're going for a statistical. That was yeah, okay. Okay, so that's why we do statistical. I, I mean, what... Uh, so, Chris, I mean, you're, you're our other physics person. Have you run into a Boltzmann before? A little bit. Uh, some time ago. So, uh, I mean, what do you think that having an actual solution for the Boltzmann equation is going to do? Well, probably not a whole lot until we can pre- reproduce the initial conditions in the lab to see how well the solution models the physical world. Um, I'm not sure if there are some rather exotic initial conditions that need to be set up. Um, yeah, see, that's... Uh, well, that's, considering that the Boltzmann has been used for the last 140 years to model the physical world, my guess is that having a solution will be a solution for the physical world well, problems it, as well. I don't think it's that they have a solution. It's that they, they had found a solution that was not known before. No, it, I example, mean, it's actually said that they solved the equation. Well, maybe they have no idea what that actually means. Well, I mean, well, there, 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 the, there, there, writers at least. There, well, there are other examples. For instance, the Einstein gonna, field equations may yield solutions. Um, to and, and some some of the solutions may correspond to physical reality, and some of the solutions may correspond to never never land. I mean, I mean, to, from to from the article years. itself, it says the Penn mathematicians proved. The global existence of classical solutions and rapid time to ga- decay to equilibrium for the Boltzmann equation with long-term interactions, which means that so it, it rapid that decays to equilibrium, gets to an equilibrium point, and it rapidly. So decays what does into this it. prove? Second law of thermodynamics, does it? Because mm. you you would have to worry about a case. Where you have two systems, they're in a state where the chaos of the system, like they're, you know, they're distributed less chaotically, they're very lawful. Say you have a gas of one type on one side and a gas of another type on another side. You lift the barrier, and the question is, did he just mute me? The question is, 
can you prove that they always have to disperse one into the other? Or is it possible that they would stay separate? Stay separated. And so you might also have an example over the long term. How do you know over the long term, you know, like all the gas in a room doesn't suddenly go up into a corner because all of the molecules in the room suddenly decide to go in the same direction. And then that'd be kind of an equilibria state. And I guess, you know, it, it, it might, it's not so much a stable state. And I guess that's what they prove, that over the long term, it always stays in that equilibria or near that equilibria. Yeah. Could this be a, a proof of the arrow of time, uh, at least from a thermodynamic perspective? Very possibly, actually, because I'm wondering about that. Yeah, because I don't wonder about that. In all honesty, I don't care. <laughs> you can take that arrow like, of time. Like, I could only take that. Of time. I could only take that for a short period of time. You can shove that up your. I don't know. Your well, that, you can, you can that, go shove that, that up your tasty tori. That that very much proves the arrow of time. See, before you were not annoyed, and after you are annoyed, and you can't go backwards. So therefore, time exists. Yes, but <laughs> I can still. Fucking punch you after this is over. Uh, so the one last thing I wanted to talk about that was in this article was the idea of the glancing or grazing collision. And mm. so apparently before this, uh, there's a yeah, really they, only had like actual collision, like full-on head-to-head collision of these molecules. They assume they were point particles. Yeah, and so now they have actual grazing collisions, which is apparently what allowed them to uh, solve the long-term interaction problem. Mm. Uh, it, yeah, I guess because you have action more at a distance. Is it spooky? Is it spooky? <laughs> okay, that it depends that, on if you're thinking about demons. That's the one physics joke that I can make: is the spooky, <laughs> spooky action, action as, at, a at a distance joke. There's also demons that tend to herd molecules into corners of rooms. So <laughs> demons and spooky actions. I've been watching too much Buffy lately, so you say demons, I'm just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, evil, evil vampire. Beasts. How far are you in now? I'm, hey, I'm, trust me, this is much more interesting to me than physics. See, the la- episode 22 is season four, so I'm going to start season five tonight. Oh, okay. Wow. You've really been pumping through those. Yep. I, I did not like season four that much. It was weird. It was um, yeah, just, a lot of weird things going on in that one. And, let's see. Uh, a lot of creepy shit. Like shit that really oh, that, disturbed me. That's the first year in college, right? Yeah. Oh, the one with that one weird episode when they never leave the bedroom? That was oh, so yeah. like, fucked yeah, up. Where they're fucking each other constantly, and like everyone. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, Chris, you don't get to see the fucking. Hey, did you it just see it? <laughs> it's it's on TV, Chris, and and like it was on what what Fox years ago. It was on Fox, not Skinamax. Yeah. <laughs> not Spice TV. Blow, okay, blow time. So uh, so. With that amazing segue <laughs> between the two articles, <laughs> uh, the ne- next thing next thing we're going to talk about is uh, is a New York Times article uh, from John Allen uh, Paulos. I want to say Paulos, John Allen Paulos. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter. He's really good on Twitter. Uh, he talks about math all the time. It's uh, the article's name is Metric Mania. Now this this is actually reaching back to uh, to an episode we recorded ages ago. Uh, I believe it was called the Shattered Windows or Broken Windows podcast. Uh, it was one where uh, my sister and her uh, then fiance, now husband, uh, were on, and they were talking about uh, the way that Baltimore City uses, you know, some weird math and metrics to measure things. And Baltimore. and yeah, Baltimore, Baltimore, <laughs> Baltimore, Charm City, Natty Bow. 
uh, 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 they, got nice, they got a nice aquarium there. Oh, they they really the Inner aquarium, Harbor Aquarium. Yeah, is Baltimore fantastic. Inner Harbor is a is a beautiful place, and but bur- everywhere else it's shithole. And burgers, cookies. Hey, I like I like uh, Pigtown. My burgers, sister lives in Pigtown, and that's fantastic. Uh, and so what what uh, John Allen Paulos is uh, doing in this article is uh, that he's talking about uh, how numbers are used in public policy and the the issues of it and how uh, we've especially in this country but in a lot of other uh, first world countries this is officially a twitter hashtag of first world problems uh we tend to uh over metricize everything you know we have the top 10 party schools top 20 friendliest cities and and his argument is kind of that uh, these things aren't actually metrics because you can use slightly different things and get a completely different list. It's not clearly defined. Yeah, how yeah. the measurement is occurring mm. or they're weighting things totally differently. And they don't explain why they weight certain characteristics the way they do. Yeah. That go into... Well, know, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lack of openness. The one quote that I really wanted to pull from this is, the problem isn't with statistical tests themselves, but with what we do before and after we run them. So I and so the basic thesis of his argument is that uh, we we are not uh, we are not doing tests on uh, data that's been properly uh, gathered, and we are also uh, not properly analyzing this data. Yeah, I mean, with any general statistical test, there's any number of ways to any number of ways to look at the data, and you know that's one of the things that you do with politics. It's like, you know, how do you, how do you how do you want the numbers to turn out and that once you answer that question, that tells you how to gather the, da- the data. And one of the places you can it. really see this is the most recent recent economic collapse. Oh. Uh, like with the bonds, you know, giving double A ratings to bonds and they were able mm-hmm. to do that because they slightly changed the metric that they mm-hmm. were using to measure them. Then the metric changed again and the market crashed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, that metric never changed. It's just people started analyzing things better. Yeah, okay. Person, people's personal metrics changed. I mean, uh, another, I guess another in incident uh, where you know, we're, we're measuring something, or at least some people claim they measured something, but then later they said, well, we're not really focusing on measuring it accurately. How much oil actually has been leaking per day in the Gulf of Mexico? And the number that came out originally was 5,000 barrels per day. Yeah, but I mean, they, they screwed up a number. Uh, the problem was is that number was supposed to go in front of the five. The current estimate is seventy-five thousand. And but, but I mean, where did the original number come from? It, it came from a uh, British Petroleum's PR agency. Uh, so I mean that, but that's not that's not quite what he's talking about. I mean, there's another part that he's talking about. It's it's counting and aggregating. Uh, you know, there's the, you know, uh, one big thing that we've all had to deal with are standardized testings. Mm-hmm. So and and oh, with and with so bo- and with you know schools so. And the problem is that the metric that they use to, to check to see whether or not a school is good is not how well do you do on the standardized test. It's how much you improve from year to year. So if you're already a good school, what happens, Brandon? You stay constant, and it's, you know, they think, well, you're not improving, so up. Oh. Yeah, so you get your money cut. But if you're a bad school, I mean, you can only improve. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and while a shitty school. And while, you know, bad schools need, you know, a larger influx of new money... Cutting the funding of schools uh, that are already good is only going to make them bad, mm-hmm. which after a while will mean that they can finally improve again. 
when they hit rock bottom. And so your yeah, your system will actually be seeming to work, but it'll be getting continuously worse. Actually, yeah, because it looks like oh well, these people aren't improving, and in fact, they're getting worse. Mm-hmm. Of course, we should send them less money. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But uh, it seems to me that you know the schools that are doing worse are the ones that need the most money. You know, because they're 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 going down, which means we need to bolster them up. Uh, yeah. Where do, where do confidence intervals enter into, you know, these types of well, analyses? It's, oh, well, you can think of it this way. There's another example from uh, this article that I really liked, and it was, uh, it, it, it was an extreme example that uh, uh, Paulus wrote about that's about disease. So uh, imagine oh, this yeah. disease that uh, everyone gets in the early, oh, you yes. know, you, you only get in the early to mid-60s, um, and you die from it at 75 and so you have one area that tests for this uh, disease at the age of 65. And since you only die at the age of 75 if you have this disease, that means that they have a 100% five-year survivability from when you find out you have the disease. Mm. But if, if you, know, you know that it's 100% fatal and it's 100% fatal at 75, and you have another city that tests in the early 70s, well, they'll still find out everyone has it, but they'll die at seventy-five, which means that their five percent or their five-year, uh, five-year survival rating will be zero. zero. And but everyone's still living to the same age, and everybody like, also has the disease. It's just a matter of when you test it. Yeah, and so the survivability length, your actual, you know, you know, goodness of life and survivability of it, it's the exact same. Right. But the area that tests later, because why the hell do you need to test earlier? Because you're going to die at 75 if you have it. Um, you know, uh, and apparently, you know, you don't start getting deleterious effects until like three years before you die or something like that. Mm-hmm. You start getting bad effects at 72. There's no reason to test before 72 because there's nothing to treat. But it would make that hospital look so much worse because... After five years, they have no one surviving, whereas that first hospital after five years has everyone surviving, even though it did those people no good because they were tested at 65. And so that's kind of the confidence, you know, that sort of confidence thing. Like, this hospital can say, look, we have 100% five-year survivability rating for this disease, but their treatment isn't any better. As a matter of fact, it's probably more expensive. So, I mean, this is the problem is, with the way we do metrics. Politics and medicine, I think, are like two of the biggest things where statistics are abused. Oh, yeah. What about like in the case where... The uh, diet fads. What about... What about uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. And what about false, um, false diagnoses? Like you say, oh, this test has a 5% chance. Oh, the, the false problem of the false positive. Yeah. Mm. That alone, I mean, people, that makes no damn sense. I mean, what ha- I mean it says, oh... It tests ninety five percent of the time. This test well, positive. Let, let's 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 do ninety nine. And, okay, and so I'm, I'm going to test. I'm going to bring this to something even more politically troubling, and terrorism. Oh yeah. Okay. So say in a city of New York, there's twenty million people, and uh, say we have this test that ninety nine percent of the time properly identifies someone as either a terrorist or not a terrorist. Mm-hmm. And say that there are 10 terrorists in New York City right now. Probably not a bad bet. So uh, 99% of the time, it's going to probably identify all 10 of those terrorists. But there's 20 (laughs) million people in New York other than these 10 terrorists. And 1% of the time, it's going to not identify. identify. It's going to falsely identify them as terrorists. So what's 1% of 20 million? 
Let's see. That's a hard question. <laughs> 200,000. 200,000 people are going to be identified as terrorists who are not. Just so, to catch the 10 So after, after you data mine all of New York, you now have 200,010 people being identified as terrorists on this very accurate test. You know, because it's 99%, 99%. accurate. But the problem is 99.999% of those people are not, are are not, not. terrorists. And the same thing happens with, like, uh, you know, various different, uh, like, Ebola tests and things like mm-hmm. that. You know, that, you know, if you tested everyone, you'd be fucking screwed. Everyone would be on meds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that actually speaks a lot, especially for terrorism. I mean, how much are we spending in, say, airport security? Well, and, and one, an even bigger problem than that, mm-hmm. uh, terrorism tests are not 99% accurate. Yeah, they're much They're worse. like 40 or 50 or 60% accurate. Yeah, it only slightly gives a chance to point you in the... Yeah, I mean, right. you, have a, you have a flip of the coin to properly identify a terrorist as being a terrorist. And the other, <laughs> cup, and the other many millions of people in the U.S. Has to, have to put up with... Uh, hence, hence why Senator Ted Kennedy was once put on the no-fly list. Exactly. <laughs> you have to put up wow. with all that lost time, all that lost business, just to catch the few people... And, who you probably won't really and, catch and anyway. Let's see. The uh, only people we've actually properly found out who have tried to do an airplane again since 9-11 mm-hmm. uh, were Richard Reed and then the underwear dude. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. And, and guess what? We caught both of them. Mm-hmm. And we did not catch them because we had better security. Not, they were not caught by sky marshals. They were not caught at the checkpoints. They were caught because now people who are flying on planes realize that if someone starts doing something, you, you can't just assume that you're going to land somewhere in like Iran and then you're going to be bartered back to your country. No, you fucked that person up. Yeah, and <laughs> which is exactly what we do, and that's why we have not lost another plane since 9-11. Fuck yeah, but look at, look at the so, ones that come think, really think, close to working, uh, such as the New York Times bombing. Or not New York Times, uh, the New York uh, oh, the uh, sub- Times Square. Yeah, the Times Square, the Times Square bombing. And that was found, uh, thankfully, because the guy was really crappy at making bombs and because people are keeping their eyes out. It was not caught on tape. It was not caught by the cops. It was caught because someone called it in. Yeah, all, of mean, this, people... all of this security theater, which is a term that Bruce Schneier uh, uses, a security expert, brilliant man, Bruce Schneier, uh, it's, it's security theater. It's not made to actually make people safer. It's, it's done to... to make people feel like they're safer. Exactly. And I mean, people Which actually makes us less safe. Exactly. Not only does it make us less safe, it does more damage to us than the terrorists probably could have done in the first place. Oh, just not much more. Of them. Uh, the Patriot Act? Yeah, there's just not oh. enough terrorists to do as much uh, damage as we've done uh, to ourselves. Uh, off, offshore uh, torture camps. Uh, uh, yeah, that's right. Well, you know, uh, holding, and... holding United States citizens as enemy combatants, even when they have absolutely... Indefinitely. Indefinitely. Yeah, indefinitely. Don't, indefinitely. Mention, don't forget that. Yeah, they don't need habeas corpus is thrown out the window. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of this has to do with these false sorts of metrics as well. I mean, because exactly. well, you yeah. find them because of false positives. So, yeah, we're spending hundreds of millions of dollars to catch one guy with a knife <laughs> trying to get through airport security. And, and everybody in the Americas had to put up with and time the delays, people And the people who get caught get caught on the plane by normal people. By normal people. It's funny how that works. <laughs> And I mean, people are complaining. It's like because how, how, why didn't you? You do know, more you know, if security? they would have actually like found any. I mean, the one case where they actually did find out ahead of time because of data mining and really good police work. But most of it was really good police work. Was uh, the London one? Oh yeah, 
the Lon- the the London planning one, and but most of that was Actually, not was not math people. stuff. It, <laughs> a lot of that, no, not the bombings that went off. The one that happened a few couple of years later. That they actually arrested him before any bombs went off. Oh, yeah. You know? I know about the bombs that went off. Except the yeah. one that they accidentally shot in the head like three times uh, because he was the wrong guy. Oh, uh, well, yeah, well. no, but no, I'm saying that one, but that was mostly good police work. Someone got that a lead and then positive. did good police work. Uh, but, I mean, it's, you're not, you're not going to catch people using these tests because of what we've been talking about. Because you're not defining the data, right? You're not checking the stats. And that, and that in many ways is, Really, what Paulus is, is trying to argue here is just that we need to pay more attention to these tests that are being used. Exactly. And we need to pay attention what to what mean, the results are, really are. What they mean, how we start, why we're doing them in the first place. What we want them to mean in the end is often going to influence what we think the data says. Well, it, almost, it only, almost completely influences. The only person I can think who does statistical work on things like this who really does not let it influence them is Nate Silver over at 538. Oh, yeah, I know that guy. Nate Silver is it's amazing. Everyone go check out 538.com because that man knows his statistics. He's one, he's one person I think who could convince me that stats is uh, actual math. Mm. I really hope he doesn't listen to this because I am currently trying to get an interview with him. <laughs> you foot in your me. mouth some more, Sam. Oh, yeah, I know. Well, now let's let's continue on with uh, with numbers, but instead of instead of with metrics, now we're going to talk about the one article that everyone is actually excited about, but we're not getting to that part of it for a little bit. Mm. It'll come up though. It Be will. Sure. It will come up because <laughs> oh, what we're talking about with with the Paul's the Metric Mania article is uh, how our society is influencing the way that we use numbers. The, um, but this is the way that we use them. So what we're going to start or... talking. You could also think of it as is. I'm trying to get a segue here. Okay. Uh, so if you would please <laughs> shut the fuck up. So it's kind of the way the society influences the way that we use numbers. What we're going to talk about now is how society influences numbers themselves. Now this is uh, it's either Alex Bejos or Alex Bejos. Uh, he's I believe originally he's of Brazilian descent. Uh, currently over in the UK, he just. Uh, published a book over in the UK called Alex's Adventures in Numberland. It's a bunch of rec math stuff uh, that's, that's really quite cool. Uh, but I mean, what, the, the way he starts the article, he's, I, I mean, we've all read the article, he's actually just a really good writer. Hmm. Like the way he writes this article, I mean, you actually get into it and it's, it's, you know, it's from the Times Online, so it's for a general audience. But the question, I mean, he just opens it with a question. If I had 10 fish and gave three fish away... How many fish would I have? And all of us would answer what? Seven. 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 Well, before reading the article, sure. Before <laughs> reading, but I mean, given our society. Yeah, given our society. Fish that, and I gave three away, what and, do you answer? And that's Seven. actually how you teach, teach people to read these answers. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, I mean, in the class I'm teaching right now, I taught, you know, mm-hmm. subtraction. And this is exactly how I would have taught them to read that line. But it turns out, uh, the Suya people in the Amazon uh, would give you the answer 13, which makes no goddamn sense to us. Uh, and now it, he goes on to explain why, and what it is is uh, when they hear the word give away, uh, he thinks, oh, I'm you know giving it to someone like my brother. But if I gave my brother something, he would have to give me back later on twice as much. So the way he reads this is I, get, I have 10 fish, and then I subtract three, but later on, I get two times three, which is six. 
So you have 10 minus 3 plus 6, which is 13. 13. 13. Paul, so that is assu- this, he's not fish. assuming at the exact moment that he gives well, away 3. No, but uh, you know, without uh, you know, it's a tribe in the Amazon. I doubt that they have uh, very advanced calculus knowledge. So therefore, the thought of time makes no damn sense to them. Well, not, not of time making no sense. But it, you know, it doesn't, for them, the result doesn't have to be an instantaneous result. Right. Because if you ask them, if you gave, if I have ten, if you have ten fish and gave three away, what's your instantaneous result? Even they would probably answer seven, because the Suya people are one of the ones that actually have a very good sense of numbers within their tribe, uh, and and that's that's what we have to go on next. So, uh, Chris, uh, what's the term? Uh, what's the term that you know anthropologists or what's the phrase anthropologists use for the? Uh, Number systems of most uh, Aboriginal and you know non technologically advanced cultures. I believe it's the it's the one, two or many. Yeah, yeah. one too many. One too many. Yeah. That's one o n e two t w o. Yeah, I, I'm many. pretty sure. So yeah, <laughs> they have words. For, they have the, a word for the word one, a word for the word two, and then they just have After many. They don't many. really specify. You know. Four, three, four, five, six. You just specify one, two, and many. But I mean, after looking at these uh, Amazon tribes, is that even a uh, good one, or or is there a different way that you could even represent the way that they do it? Oh, the Amazonian. I think that's the one few they, and yeah, many. One, one few, few many. many. Uh, they have a number for an, a a single unique object. So when does few become many, though? Like, uh, what does that I mean, switch because off point? And some, I mean, it, it, would, it would depend. It would depend on the situation. Uh, because you know, say what's in? They have a lot of bananas there, right? Mm-hmm. Amaz- a- the Amazon area has oh. a lot of bananas. <laughs> well, know. they did uh, at one point. They did at one point. Let's yeah. just say they have bananas. Okay, okay so they have bananas. <laughs> so a few bananas, since they have a lot of them, might be you know like fifty or sixty, whereas many would be you know a few hundred. Whereas with something that they have a lot fewer of, say uh, decapitated heads. Uh, that that were decapitated in uh, natural causes because I am in no way calling these people headhunters. How is natural? I don't know how that happens that often. A tree like falls natural, and it tree literally no, chops sure. off the head and they that's just a, carry it home. With I don't them. know if that quite works. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah. Usually, a fingers, tree falls okay. on your head; it smashes okay. your head. Okay. Fingers? No, it falls on the neck. And it, oh, okay. exactly so, on the neck. Exactly on the neck. So it like crushes Just your like neck down. Okay, okay. How about this? this? Fingers collected that were uh, cut off during fish descaling. Man, you gotta be mm, violently descaling fish to cut off a finger. Yeah, but it could happen. It could happen. Okay, and so in this case, few would probably only be like three or four. Whereas if you had ten, that would be many, because there's not going to be as many of them. What about so, if you had three and five? I bet they would both be few. But the well, word, but the word it's probably three and it's seven. probably a matter of what you're trying to emphasize. Yeah. Whether yeah, you, I mean it's you're trying to emphasize gonna, it's gonna it's gonna be, you're trying to emphasize something a great number a or, so, or a smaller number. I mean it's going to yeah. be it's going to be societal, it's going to be uh you know a, a case by case thing. So I mean there's not I mean there's not going to be a, I mean, a direct cutoff line. point. I mean I if there's like a, a direct few thousand, cutoff point. So I mean, yeah, but I mean that's that's a few yeah, if, many. If there was yeah. a direct cutoff point, they'd then be they would to have numbers. Numbers, right? They would have numbers up to that point. So if there's a direct cutoff, like the cutoff up to ninety nine is few, hundred and above is many. That means that they have okay. number words up to ninety nine. And there's uh, there was even another uh, tribe. I can't uh, the Mun 
uh, Daruku tribe. Yeah, they had yeah, that roughly had, one. No, no, they had one, two, three, four, and five. Those were their oh. their number ones. But one and two were exact numbers, and there was three ish, four ish, and five ish. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> Funny thing, I know this is off topic, but uh, you guys remember those books? Because we're speaking about the Amazon. You know those books that you they're like eyewitness books or something, and you could like flip them open. And they have like the cellophane. You'd move them, and you'd see pictures then underneath them. And oh, vaguely. You know which ones? They're like the, about this size, and you know you flip the page, and you could you would move the cellophane over, and it would show a picture underneath mm-hmm. it, like hidden shit, and you know yeah. that kind of stuff, kid shit. I don't know. I just saw that because I had an Amazon book like that. It had the river overlays, like how the rivers changed over time. You would move oh, it, yeah. and show the new river underneath. It's pretty cool. But I mean, oh, it was, it was I mean, the, the I don't because <laughs> Amazon jackass. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, but I mean, the thing about these tribes is that they still test as well as Westerners in a lot of numerical things. And they specifically numerical learn. estimations, mm-hmm. and so there. I mean, that's where the argument kind of comes up that, uh, in in the truth of the matter, for and you know for a hunter for a hunter gatherer uh, society, you don't need the number five, True. but you need to be able to look at something and be able to differentiate between five and ten, because you know ten is you know twice as many as five. So if you look at say a tribe of wildebeest. Uh, you need to, or, you know, a herd, a tribe, a herd of wildebeest, and there's two herds here, and you can only attack one of them, and you see that in one there's, you know, five, and in another there's ten, you need to be able to estimate on the fly that you should go attack the one with ten, because you have a better chance of killing more. Or at least one. Yeah, or, (laughs) I mean, killing more meaning zero or or higher. Uh, but but okay, yeah, you know what? The, since part of you that, are part of that also. Wait, but what does this have to attacks? What, I was just what, what Chris? Okay. What does this have to do with what? You gonna bring up fucking physics, Chris? Are you going to? Are you gonna fucking do it? No, Anthony. Oh, I was <laughs> I was gonna ask about how Noam Chomsky might. Uh, <laughs> what might, what yeah. the hell are you bringing? Well, no, just well, the idea. This, the this article does not go into not. the linguistics, but I'm sure. What Gnome would probably say is exactly what this article says, is that the the cultures that do not have a large amount of number words are hunter-gatherer cultures, whereas the cultures that don't are at least agricultural or post-agricultural when you actually do need to keep track of things. And as far as Gnome is concerned, that's good enough. But, but I mean, I, are these things... Oh. Oh, I was just thinking the linguistics of mathematics, because if we're trying to say that despite not having words for certain numbers, people still have the concept of it. That would... Well, they have the concept of, you know, something is bigger than something else. There's bigger more... Than something else. They have the concept of more and less. Right, but exactness requires some sort of knowledge of a specific number or a specific, you know, name for some sort of, in our case, number of things. Yeah, but like it was have still... To, in order to count, you'd have to be able to count in order to really be exact yeah but at least it would attack the concept that all of our like our mind is basically shaped by our linguistics it would attack that concept at least in some small way well i mean just because they may not use numbers the way that we do doesn't mean they couldn't learn them and and just because we use numbers the way we do doesn't mean we couldn't learn you you apparently you apparently did not uh read this article article you can learn and then immediately Uh, forget yeah, yeah, there there was a person who was had to go to the hospital or something like mm-hmm. that. I believe, and while while Portugal, she was in the hospital, Portugal. 
Uh, well, no, she, it was in Brazil. Oh, Brazil. But she had to leave Portuguese. Yeah, she learned Portuguese, thing. and she learned mm. the numbers in Portuguese. Mm. She learned to count in Portuguese. And then, like, a year later, after she had gone back to her tribe, she just couldn't remember because they don't use counting. And that's kind of the one of the biggest points of this article is that our number sense is completely societally ingrained in us. Because there, there is a genetic component, but that genetic component is the... Uh, one, two, few, many. Which makes you wonder, is two plus two really four, for example? Well, no, bad. two it's plus a... two equals four because we define the operation given the uh, Zeno-Frankel axioms we to do. be. <laughs> mathematicians well, em- do. Mathematicians do. And if you pretend things like the empty set really exists and you can do things with those axioms... Then Assuming two that, plus two equals two pl- four. Then two plus two equals but four. But it depends on what your word plus means. Just like in the beginning, we were talking about giving away. In a different culture, right. giving just, away means that you get twice as much what back. What we were saying before this was um, this is a lot, it's a very big, you know, it's analogous to group theory. I mean, you have a set and you have an operation. So for all yeah. we know, their method of subtraction could be that's. That's the, how they define that operation is totally different, but that's not reason it can't be you know a number set that actually yeah. works with all their numbers. Yeah, and I mean if you define subtraction by if you define m minus n, you know, to be in our mathematics, uh, n uh, plus two n two m minus m. So you could easily essentially you could make plus m. You could you could make that a consistent mathematical system. Oh yeah, you could. I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's grouped here. You need, you have a set and you have an operation. It's just, it's the society that defines what your set is and what your operation is. Well, I guess the big well, question would I, be, are there, are these two systems isomorphic? I mean, that, I mean, that, that's probably a very I important that, question. Yeah, I, I actually went through that. Adi- uh, subtraction <laughs> yeah, becomes be. addition, addition becomes subtraction. That's basically all that happened. Well, no, because and addition the, and the does not... And the ordering well, of it the depends if, you if, if you gave if away gives, three, then you lost six, is basically how it works. You well, no, no, if you, if you get you, three. If, if you, you get three, you lose you, six. Yeah, and okay. Then, so basically, you just switch the order of operations. Yeah. Can you give away more than the, you have to begin oh, with? Well, if we decide to abstract this out completely, yes, but uh, I very much doubt that these people deal very often with but negative me. numbers because they don't have to. Well, I mean, so that's, that's kind of what it is about the idea that's societally done. Because if you're in a hunter gatherer society, you don't need negative numbers. Well, talk, let's talk about first. Well, negative world, number would represent world. a debt, then, like a debt owed. Yeah, yeah, but there aren't there aren't really debts owed outside of a society that or in a society that doesn't have commerce. I don't know if you have but to give two if you have to give twice as much back, what if you, you obviously don't have yeah, but th- you twice just, as much already. Yeah, but you think of that as oh, I just owe this person six fish, but they're not going to you owe positive. You owe a positive right. number. And so it's just it's not gonna negatives aren't really going to be thought of in the same way. And I mean there there's been a lot of research done in this. Mm. Like this is a known thing. But something that, a first world problem. So I'm teaching math the other day, and I'm trying to find all the roots of a quadratic polynomial. AX okay. squared plus BX plus C. It turns out that some, sometimes the roots will be complex numbers. So when teaching my, and that means like you have this number A plus BI where I squared is negative 1. And so when talking to my students, I try to explain to them, I'm coming up with this new number. What's I, the 
the part that's times i is called the imaginary part of my complex number, and the other part's called the real part. How did these things get their names? Well, no number times itself is ever a negative number. Therefore, if, if, it, if it did, it would have to be something imaginary. You know, they don't really exist. Right. And, you know, if I had a real plus a complex number, or a real plus an imaginary number... Can't possibly be real. I, you that know, makes it's no not sense. real, it's not imaginary. How do you make real things and combine them with, like, dreams and make something? I don't know what that is, so we'll call it complex. <laughs> and so the first thing my students ask me, why are we making up these new numbers that don't really exist? And that's the well, first question. Uh, <laughs> and it, do complex numbers really exist? Do negative numbers really exist? If you don't need it in everyday life, does the number three actually exist? And of course, I take the position personally that if it's useful, I might as well keep it. And this gets into the philosophy about But this gets into the existence. philosophy. And so, yeah. Does, that, that, does any of our stuff really exist? I mean, does that mean, I mean, does it have to be that, you know, as long as we hey, believe Hey, uh, guys, it, it let's talk exist. about testicles. Test, all right. So I, love his, I love the way he, he segues into you know, from philosophy, philosophy to testicles. testicles. Okay, uh, so what we're going to talk about is, is – now, first of all, I, everyone knows, I, I imagine, why most people use the Arabic number system, the testicles. Hindu Arabic number system, right? Because I like Arabs. Uh, no, because we have uh, <laughs> 10 fingers. Okay, so sure. counting in base 10 is really easy. That's, that's one reason why base 10 is so natural for us, because we can count using our hands. But, uh, and some people have base 20, because you can count using your hands and your toes. toes. Or base 5, because you count it's using only hand. one hand. Modular stuff. Yeah. Or two if you only got on and off in your computer. <laughs> <laughs> some pinky. Uh, but it, it, it turns out that there's, uh, there are people who use many more parts of the body than just the hands and the toes to count. Specifically, the Yupno uh, tribe from Papua New Guinea. Uh, and this is the reason why all three of these guys have been chomping at the bit to talk about this article ever since they read it. And so, uh, what does the number 29 mean? Oh, number 29, I don't remember. Oh, no, it's because it's not in the article. I was just trying to trip you up. Okay. okay. So, <laughs> 33 means. 31 is? Yeah, you start with the fingers, you go to the toes. Okay, and so, the knees, oh, no, the no, they, they did mention a couple of the other, you they mentioned the, the, the elbow at some point, uh, I yeah. can't remember exactly when it was, but, but let's actually, let's actually talk about this, 31, uh, the word for 31 is the same as the word for? That's the left testicle, right? Left, left testicle. So, 32 we're, we're, we're is, 32 is, is the right testicle. 33 is? The shaft. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, the shaft is only part of it. Uh, it's the shaft and the head. So the it's winky. technically the penis. Well, yeah, but 33 is so my shaft. So what's 33 shaft minus and, uh, 32 no. minus 31? <laughs> oh my God, mute his ass. <laughs> He's muted and I am not taking him off. <laughs> See, my question is this. What's 33 minus 32 minus 31? <laughs> Minus one, a eunuch. <laughs> it's a, it's a, no, no, because you add them again. You get twice as many. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> that, so how many you have? You're double. That, you're you're, you're no, triple no, dong, man. Double. You only you only get one extra. Remember, uh, one extra of each because yeah. So that means you got four. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the movie, uh, you know, no, double but, dragons with double, double kinda, dragon. Yeah, I kind of I kind of want to point out uh, for a second here. They probably also don't have negative numbers. And uh, finally. And the, and this is uh, this is what we're going to end it on because uh, I want, I, want 
I want you guys to go and read this article because it's quite fascinating. I'll make sure to put a link on it over at acmescience.com. Uh, and also make sure to talk about the stuff in the forum, acmescience.com slash forum. There's a link to it on the Acme Science page as well. And so on the count of three, I want everyone to tell me what the number 34 is. One, two, three. Dead Sam. Dead man. I like Brandon's more. more. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Well, that is it for another episode of Combinations and Permutations. I can't even keep my energy up here for the outros anymore. So if you want to get in touch with me and maybe give me a topic or send me an article that you think should be discussed on this podcast, please email me at samuel at acmescience.com. That is samuel at acmescience.com. If you want to find out more about these articles we talked about you will find links to them over at acmescience.com and uh, you will also find there links to the forum where you can start your own discussions on these articles really please use this forum i think that it can be an amazing thing if we all just go to it and check it every day like i do and not find any of you so the music is from SP12. You can find them at opsound.org. And this is a Creative Commons Attribution share-alike licensed audio production. Or production, when I don't want to sound really stupid. And that means, of course, you can remix it as you wish. So remember, acmescience.com, acmescience.com slash forum. I hope you have a great week, and thanks for listening. <laughs>